Until the very last minute, the plan was for Pants for Pets LLC to record and release their post-mortem first because, you know, they were the lead off of the season. But in an incredible bit of serendipity, uh, they have canceled at the last minute and Dragon Quest has had to step in, which is appropriate. That is how it came to exist. This is how it started. This is how it ends. Uh, just, just like just like Red being the first NPC. It's at the start and at the end. The cycle is complete. It, it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> all of this has happened before. All of it will happen again. Time is a flat circle. You got to wake up. <laughs> I, I will say that the whole this whole sequence panning out the way it did is really wild, just given from my perspective of like, because we had the character idea, then got shelved. And then we tried to do the the one shot episode, which is you and me setting everything up, and it didn't feel right. So then all of a sudden, Dragon Quest became a thing, and you know, I think everything's better for it. Obviously, so the forces of the universe <laughs> have conspired to bring this party together, and it has been, you know, the emotional and moral core of Arabella. A lot of people have said, like, oh, the thing that made me cry was the end with you know Gort and Throg. Uh, people mm-hmm. said that they're so glad that Gladys made it and no one has really been like hell yeah <laughs> my favorite character from the beginning of the season mm-hmm. well, I guess we'll talk about it in there so you guys get the first word though that's exciting you get to set the tempo they have to respond to your attack ads that's right <laughs> <laughs> anyway, vote, vote for Gladys ruler of the new world uh, Trayon gets to be treasurer don't know what that's going to do to the economy uh, we'll see how it goes yeah invest in kicks I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to quit immediately on day one, but not actually, but forget how to actually quit properly. So the job is filled without an actual way to uh, uh, replace it because it needs to be vacant first. But I did not put in the two weeks' notice correctly. So unfortunately, the treasury is dead from day one. Uh, this is a post-mortem episode. We do it every season. If you're new here, I ask for questions. They have come in on the website, Twitter, and in our Discord, the link to which is in every episode description. I'm just going to read these questions, and the other people in the call are going to answer them. That's how this goes. Do you all want to get started? Do we have any other notes up front? I think anything that I want to talk about will have, will come up naturally as we answer these questions. In this fictional uh, political campaign I've just created, uh, Gort is the Minister of Health care. <laughs> that that I could get behind, yes. I believe in Gort. I should also say that we recorded the finale in December. It is February as we're recording. <laughs> and I asked everyone at the time, I was like, you know, it's going to be two months. You won't remember things very well. Do you want to do a postmortem where we just talk amongst ourselves now? Or do you want to wait until the finale airs so we can get questions? And everyone uh, who had a strong feeling said questions. So that is why we did it that way. Um, let's see how it works out. You know, in the future, if we're ahead of schedule, maybe we'll do it differently depending on how. Uh, the audience and then the players feel about this arrangement but nine seasons in a row we have done questions so here they are first one christina's art at christina's underscore art how big was the time gap between dragon quest came to arabella and when the university teams got there i guess this is for me i have no idea i left a blank space in case someone wanted to establish something so as you'll hear in say the first episode of Resubian, uh, Leon just establishes like four core things about the setting in like the pilot. And if I had already established those things, he wouldn't have been able to do that. I like to keep those spaces open because it's funny when someone says, yeah. uh, you know, what if gravity goes up? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, fuck. I guess that's how it works now. I, I th- yeah, I think honestly one of the main indicators to some degree is the fact that like 
train is in that loop with Rex for over a hundred deaths. So I would figure that at that point there, it's like, okay, days, weeks, possibly even, um, just some t- uh, weird time frame for them to be stuck in one loop while Gladys and Throg are doing the special chapter that no one gets to see uh, after they get separated. The, the, the exclusive bonus Dragon Quest Plus where you get to follow Gladys and Throg on their, like, the rest of the quest to the actual dragon land. And if you have a Disney Plus subscription, you get to see all of Gort's side stories. <laughs> <laughs> Little Gort animations, like the fucking, uh, like the ones they made with the fucking spork from Toy Story 4. Oh my god. I mean, aren't you trying to do some kind of adaptation, Sarah? I feel like this is a great place to plug it. So if you wanted to have those stories become reality, listener, you can actually do this. Yeah, so I recently re-jumbled my Patreon recently, patreon.com, at Cosmignon, and I decided to set up some, like, financial goals so like the very first one is the one that's relevant if i get a hundred dollars per month i'll be able to think about actually starting to make a comic adaptation of dragon quest i already have a lot of ideas for how i'd do that it's just a matter of uh having the financial stability to be able to do that while also working on my other projects and also not going insane (laughs) right I was going to say that to see the Dragon Quest Plus chapter, you have to completely erase your save file for uh, Dragon Quest regular and pets for uh, pants for pets and just have a blank slate. And then you can see that special chapter, but only once. Yeah. <laughs> and like on my Patreon, like um, I have a tier for $1. So like if that's all you can do, that's totally fine. I think right now I make about $28 per month. So we're like maybe like... Sorry, my cat jumped up at me. <laughs> this is going to be the like shortest little... turnaround of an episode from recording to release, I think, in Dice Funk history. So a cat might just get left in because we're recording Saturday night and it's coming out Sunday morning. So maybe the audience gets some sweet bonus cat content because Austin didn't have enough time <laughs> yeah. to fix it. Should, should, should I grab my rabbit? He doesn't make any noise, but like, he could rabbit? be here in spirit. This is... Yeah. This is... <laughs> I, I have an 11-year-old rabbit. Oh. His name is Blizzard. Uh, unfortunately, has shares a name with the shitty company now. Oh, no. But uh, I didn't name him, so that, I just got to uh, deal with that. I, I, I was going to say, this is like almost spew, uh, spewpunk level bonus content that we're getting for free, <laughs> so this is great. Some bonus cat content, yeah. But yeah, like 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 I was saying before, ragtime. My cat interrupted. Uh, we're it's about ragtime. Yep. Oh. <laughs> my partner named him. It's a very good name. <laughs> uh, we're like I'm about a quarter of the way to a hundred dollars per month. Even just even if like just a couple dozen people like pledged like a dollar or three dollars, like that would get really close to the uh, Dragon Quest comic goal. Yeah, that's a great thing about doing this is that you can look at the listener numbers and be like, if everyone gave a dollar, I wouldn't have to sell my plasma anymore. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I hope that Blizzard, Ragtime, and Bjork would be friends. We could just put them in a room together and they would play. Wouldn't that be cute? They would probably kill each other. Yeah. They, would, they would kill each other. <laughs> Cutely. In Bjork a perfect is a world, they wouldn't, but like they would. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, Blizzard, I, I've had three rabbits, Vincent, Coco, and Blizzard. Coco was the friendliest. Uh, Vincent kicked a Labrador in the face. <laughs> and Blizzard is albino and has bad eyesight, so he barely knows what's going on. Okay. 
Well, Bjorn, Bjork is a danger to everyone. <laughs> she is a, a very sharp baby. We're going to have to go faster on these questions. Demon Hunter at Tiger Alchemist asks, Cosbignon, how did it feel to go from audience member to player? Was it difficult to not talk plot points before the episodes came out? This is, I was so curious about this. I asked you immediately off mic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, um, to start, like, getting asked to come on, like, the show was, like, I, I, I think either, like, I know Austin had previously asked me about, like, interest in, like, Vesuvian, <laughs> and, like, while I did, well, I had to, like, eventually reject that one, after that one, I, I think a little while later, Skitch, like, messaged me, like, Austin's looking for people to do, like, a prequel for Arabella because of, like, scheduling reasons. And I was, like, <laughs> excited and nervous at the same time. I, I, I think most of my nerves came from the fact that I've never done this kind of thing. Like, I, I, I've never done a, like, a podcast with people that aren't, like, my friends already. <laughs> I haven't done, like... D&D improv storytelling on air for like a bunch of people to listen to. I didn't have a fucking decent quality microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Which I felt bad about that for the like couple weeks that it took like like the week or two I think it took for Austin to get me one, which thank you Austin for getting me a, a microphone. But like I I think after the initial nerves and like after we recorded a couple episodes, it started feeling less like I am a fan in the middle of everyone else being on Dice Funk and more like just this is a story that I get to tell with some cool dudes. Yeah, I mean, you've been an internet content creator for a while, so it's not like, uh, you know, we, we you know, plucked you out of a dumpster or something. You're out there doing your stuff. But <laughs> yeah, that's that was me. That's you. You're the little trash baby. Um, but I also, I had never <laughs> done improv storytelling before Dice Funk. I just sat down in front of a mic and did it. So I assumed other people are also capable of this. I'm not special. <laughs> and, and you did great. Mm -hmm. So it worked out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with how it, event, how it all rolled out in the end. I, I, I think that... Um, like, even if there's things I'd like to do better in the future, I don't think there'd be things that I would change about how I did this campaign, because it was a good learning experience. You had the advantage of joining in when uh, episodes were being structured in such a way where you'd have weeks to wait between <laughs> recording an episode and knowing the audience is going to hear about it. So sitting with that degree of anticipation was certainly uh, fun. I saw you on the Discord being like, ah, I can't say anything. Can't say anything. I have to act like Gladys is dead this whole time or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like with, with, with having to withhold information, and like especially on the Discord, it was like not hard like in the sense that like i was like bursting at the seams to say shit but like it, it was hard because i just really like when i get invested in a character i create i, I always just want to talk about them non-stop 24 7 <laughs> like i have a like there's a couple servers where i just talk about my webcomic characters a bunch and and like gladys is the same but like i, I can't mm -hmm. talk about her if there's things that the audience doesn't even get to know yet <laughs> All right. Irefire at Irefire asks, also should say, great artist, does a lot of incredible uh, you mm -hmm. know, drawings of, of the show. Uh, Sarah, Sketch, Dan, what do you think would have happened if OG Pants for Pets LLC met with Dragon Quest? Would Gladys still want to duplicate the items after firsthand meeting Zana in Dark Justice? <laughs> well, um, you go first. 
I would say that, like, we got to see how Tran interacted with most of it. I would say that this is weird because prior to season 10 starting, Mari and I were actually trying to plan out Zana and Tran interactions and, like, how that would have been played out. And it would have been a very different energy if they had met, like, in some OG form. As for Dark Justice, the Tran's attitude towards uh, Little Boy Justice would be similar, but maybe a little bit more uh, weary and maybe antagonistic, to say the least. I, I, so I have a limited knowledge of uh, exactly what uh, Xana and um, uh, Dark Justice were doing exactly, as I've only heard a little bit before Dragon Quest and then everything after Dragon Quest started. Uh it, it would have probably become openly hostile and pretty violent real quick. <laughs> uh, well, Throg literally gave, uh, uh, like, a, a, not a speech, but a conversation to Gladys about, hey, sometimes you should just kill people and you draw from that what you will. Yeah. I think because I made Gladys, like, with the knowledge that, I like, like the season was already well on its way and I knew about the, 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 the Pants for Pets party that, like, Gladys was made consciously with, like, ideas in my head about how, like, I don't want to make something that's too similar to, like, Juniper. And also, I, I had thoughts about, like, being a contrast to other characters. So, like, I feel like, in my head, Gladys would just, uh, like... Dark Justice out of the question. Don't like him. He's like the antithesis to what Gladys wants the new world to be. Uh, Zana, maybe she would have gone along with for a little bit if Zana was like extremely like cloyingly manipulatively nice at her like she tried to be with some people. But I think in the end, Zana is too much like Gladys's ex for Gladys to really like her for very long. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think if in the HBO adaptation, Panther Pets and Dragon Quest would just be two equally screen presenced parties, it, there wouldn't be like a protagonist party and a backstory party. There would just be like first research team, second research team, the slimes, uh, lasers, people. Like it would just be like ten different teams who each get an equal amount of like development and everything, and you wouldn't uh, feel the need to like get. Uh, so mad at <laughs> Pants for Pets if you don't like them or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And you could just yeah. like want different people to win because the way, uh, since they get more screen time and your characters are so much nicer, <laughs> it is very much, <laughs> it is like, why don't, why doesn't the better party just eat the other one? <laughs> <laughs> absorb, absorb their levels, become level 20, you know, there you go. <laughs> yeah, lo lots of hostility just because of how things panned out with the formatting and how much time everyone got where. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, your friend, the New Year's Goose at Tales World One. Uh, first off, thanks everyone for your wonderful characters and contributions. Thank you. Second, if you had a biome, what would it contain? I, I suppose it's like really a two-part question here, depending on how you take it, because it's like, what would your characters make versus what would you, the person, the player, make? Uh, for for Throg, that's a simple answer. Sprinkles' people need a biome; they need a place to live. Mm -hmm. Give it to them. That's it. Now, there is the added complication of if he walked into that empty biome, he'd immediately be unable to breathe in trying to create it. So that's a little bit 
little bit difficult. Um, <laughs> as for as for me, uh, I think Quinn basically said what my bio would be in an episode of Speed Punk, which is a uh, gothic Halloween pumpkin nightmare filled with goblins. <laughs> I actually did have. Halloween Town was one of the ones I had on the on the list because there are some questions uh, people have asked like were there any ones that you didn't have didn't use or do you have more ideas and stuff and like I did just have like thirty ideas of things you could run into and you know nothing was set in stone I changed my mind about what order they appeared in mm-hmm. and then when Dragon Quest you know started started I was like oh a bunch of the ones pants or pets were gonna run into are actually way sa- further south than I thought <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> like nothing nothing was real until it happened to the show and one of the ones that I had on deck was you know pumpkin halloween town um so. uh, well unfortunately now that you've said this out into the world and quinn and i have already been planning on sort of hostile takeovering one of your seasons with um <laughs> uh, uh spooky monster mash uh-huh. you've just given us more ammo perfect um we have like 100 questions here so i'm gonna try to go faster sorry if i don't get everyone's here i'm just skimming uh gaz at just gazer asks is there anything you wish you had a chance to do during the season there wasn't enough time for or ended up not being a priority I think if if there's one thing that I would have liked to do more is probably just like nail down like the experimentation with like alchemy stuff just a little bit more just cuz like I like the idea of giving flavor to it all but like it, it like s- since we didn't level up except for uh Trayan's like body part thing like uh there wasn't really much room to get get crazy get stupid with it but like that's just a minor thing yeah, I don't think I really had any like um, burning things I wish to uh, get to uh, this season. Outside of like in the because we recorded the the epilogue way before it actually went out. Up till it came out, I was like, oh, I should have said X Y Z or done a scene with this person or tweaked this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's all like art. The creator wanting to adjust things to make it perfect and probably missing the forest for the trees. I feel that at the end of every scene on this show, I oh like, yeah. <laughs> every time I'm like fuck, I should have said this. I should have foreshadowed this. Oh no, no one's gonna understand what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I felt that a lot. Like when I had scenes that I was like, oh, I could have said other things. I could have, I, I, I could have been a more eloquent speaker. And it's like I'm, 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 I'm recording, a, I'm recording live. It's okay. I don't have to be scripted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it was a lot of just. From a stylization standpoint, like embracing more of the terminology of capoeira more cleanly into what I was doing, but it was just hard to remember the terms and dis- and using the term would necessitate describing it, and that can make it tough in a you know an audio only medium. Um, and there might have been some other backstory things I had planned originally for Trayan, but ultimately what we landed with was satisfying enough as a story, so. You know, there's like very like kind of with Dan said in my case, uh, these are things that could have been done differently, but it's not like there was anything that was missing for his story. Uh, Evan Ledoux at Ledoux. Evan, classic question of mine. Favorite time you rolled terribly. Oh, God. Uh, I'll just say this right now. I just love the fact that I opened with I, I traded multiple spectacular, terrible rolls. You know, just opening by stepping on the angel's feet, uh, spilling paint on the notes that Gladys was looking through and stuff. I, oh, yeah, that was a good I, one. <laughs> I loved every time, like, Trey and botched, uh, botching during the perception, which got them infested, uh, inf- uh, uh, hit with the aboleth stuff and things like that. So, like, all those little details, I think, were just 
great for moving the story forward, adding complication and even little characterization along the way. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just flat out Throg losing will uh, will rules against the Aboleth. I think that heavily directed how the rest of Dragon Quest went. Yeah, I don't remember if we said this on air. Maybe I cut it out. But after that episode where the Aboleth took out uh, Goddess's eye, we said, like, are they dead? <laughs> Is that how that ended? Uh, well, <laughs> there was a whole, you know, couple weeks there. We were like, I don't know how we're going to follow up. Here are some ideas. So, yeah, that that was not scripted. Those roles really did go that way. Yeah, Gladys dying was genuinely on the table, and I I knew that from the start. Like, like when we set up the Dragon Quest, like, we started talking about characters, like Austin was, your characters might die, and uh, I was like, okay, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, I did say, like, full disclosure, I'm not planning on killing you, like, as a scripted event, but I'm going to, you know, kind of go hard in the paint sometimes, because I know that Pants for Pets can't be seven players, and it just, yeah, you know, turned out some people's schedules and stuff, so it was clear, I think, like, halfway through that it was going to be sketch, and that's just, you know, scheduling uh, ends up controlling a lot of things, like, for example, which postmortem you do first. Yeah. (laughs) I can't remember what my botches were specifically, but I, I think if you guys remember them. You rolled really well. I think you your the story of Gladys was you crushing those like roles to research the forms mm-hmm. and stuff like that really directed. I mean, that's going to echo through literally like three seasons. <laughs> I think <laughs> the stuff that I have you did powers. so well. You I don't do. think Gladys actually botched. I can't remember one. I think the biggest failure i can remember is just like me the person getting mixed up about if it was a good idea to use enlarge reduce on those like (laughs) colors that's the biggest mess up i can remember and it's funny in retrospect yeah that was very funny like i'm about to be crushed what do i do make myself more crushable incredible (laughs) um that's just no notes <laughs> um, let's see here. Writhing Pit of Rolus uh, at Evil in- Inventions. As had anyone known who the traitor god was before it was revealed? What was everyone's guess for the role? So I should say that yeah, uh, Trayan destroying uh, Captain Dwayne's notes. I was going to give maybe more hints, and there could have been some ir- irony where the people who didn't make it to the end knew what the people who did did it. You know, did make it to the end didn't know. Uh, but then you yeah, you messed up and destroyed them. So I left a big space. And did any of you have any incredible, very prescient, perfect guesses? <laughs> I'm 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 dumb at this stuff, so I had I, I didn't know shit. So you don't have to worry about that. Notes or not. <laughs> I think I remember like the <laughs> like a dramatic irony of me thinking like, well, it can't I don't think it could be red because if she's here, how could she be at the end of the world? <laughs> As if the traitor god can't walk around because they're also just a person like the rest of them were. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, even you also brought it up in the um, the, the episode where it was revealed, Austin, uh, that I had said in the moment, well, it's somebody walking around. They're probably as far away as possible. And I remember thinking when I said that and also trying to downplay it moments afterwards that, oh, it's it could probably be red then because this is the first NPC we've met that seems to have been here for a while and isn't like. Well, the only other people we'd met was the angels and uh, the Duma cult at that point. But I didn't want to say what I was thinking out loud then. And once the pigeon showed up, I went, okay, 
doves are pigeons. That seems like something Austin would do. Pigeons mean peace. And Red said in the last episode, make a world where people like me aren't necessary. And she is a peacekeeper. Yeah. So, I mean, you had my number pretty early and I, yeah, you didn't say her name out loud. I would have, that's just a good question. Would I have had to edit it out? Cause I feel like, you know, maybe that would have ruined it. And like that reveal for the audience. I remember you having to tell Dan specifically, like, we can't guess the traitor God on the dragon quest side because our thing is figuring out the form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I said, yeah, if, if you figure it out, like, try not to shout it out or something, but it never came up. <laughs> right, because that would have given me extra knowledge that I didn't want to bring into the other party. And, you know, granted, I probably would have forgot it anyways. That's be said. <laughs> uh, Blake at Blake C 1414 is there a world where Pants for Pets fails to save Tran and we just never see him again? That almost happened. You fell into a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like so. So in that fight, in that fight, legitimately, Dread was straight up KO'd, which then forced. And I believe there's a point where it had to be explained explicitly to the other people: if you don't do something about this, Tran will die, and the time will reset unless you stop the time loop, in which Tran will just be dead. So it actually took a little while for that to be parsed out. But uh, yeah, that would have been interesting. Spent all this time making the character; they just die on the first blush. Yeah, is there? If the question is, is there a world? Yes, there is a world. But I think like the kind of social contract when you're playing at a table with people is like, don't let someone's character die if you can prevent it. It would have been like kind of a dick mode. It's just like the same reason as like, is there a world where your character's first action is to slit their own throat? Like, I guess, but like, you're you're being weird and a dick. <laughs> Back when I was playing in a third edition campaign, I had a situation where a character, due to a lot of bad rolls, died very early on. Next session, I made a character, and the party just left them to die in the first session they were around. So I unfortunately have been around with some players who are very hostile and just willing to let characters just die off. So I'm always on edge when stuff like gets that tight. That's why, to some people's dismay, like some people might have been upset that Korvac got healed by Tria during the fight where they were taught, brought down to zero. But I'm just like, I'm not going to just let them die. Tread wouldn't do that despite Korvac being Korvac, but... <laughs> yeah, like, it makes perfect sense. I think it would be, like, like, like as much animosity there is toward the character, like, I, I think it would be a dick move if, like, the if like the people playing were like, yeah, I'm going to let that fucker die. <laughs> Kill! Now, now, could you imagine the audience reaction? Like, oh, my boy, Treyan, he's... Be- oh, he's dead. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> that would have been so tragic. <laughs> Get yeah. their hopes up. <laughs> the only thing I can think is if, yeah, if Tran's body did fall in the lava and was straight dead, then, yeah, someone would have killed Rex, restarted the loop, and tried again rather than breaking the, the mm-hmm. dagger. Um, but, yeah, I don't think you should play with people who don't want you to enjoy yourself. <laughs> that's my that's my <laughs> advice. <laughs> that's... If, if someone at your table is making you have a bad time, to maybe try different hobbies, or they should <laughs> make <laughs> make them do baseball. Yeah, eat, eat their miniature and kick them out of the party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm going to go over to the Discord for a bit here. Uh, Rain, De- Rain Dean and Patreon Demon asks, uh, favorite NPC? Oh. And then more nuanced follow-up. Is there an NPC you would have liked to play? Which I guess can be an overlap. I, th- I think I've made it pretty obvious that my favorite NPCs were Bronco and Sprinkles. I, 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 I find them both to be a delight. I, I 
like it, it, Bron- Bronco is really funny, and then Sprinkles is just like this. Little, she's just a, like a little fucking guy. It's a, she's a little guy, and it's her birthday. And Sazana say as one of her last lines oh, as a living person, <laughs> "It's my birthday. <laughs> it's my birthday. <laughs> Come on, I'm just a little guy." I. I will just say that Walter, uh, I loved Walter the first time I saw them before the season even started. Mm-hmm. Like, and so Walter was as good in character as they were in my head. And then on top of that, I, I, I loved all the elves. The elves were great. All of them were. Yeah, I also really liked Walter. I thought he, he was probably one of the, the funniest characters in the the NPCs I hadn't met. Uh, I really like uh, Joe Biden fish uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but yeah, Joe, Joe Biden fish real up there. Yeah, yeah. Joe the Biden fish one, was real... pretty funny. <laughs> but I, 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 it's just, I think I think the, it's the, very the... funny that if I remember right, we'd never learned his name like in character no no yeah yeah i think i think tran might have learned the name elsewhere with pants for pets but dragon quest never learned kushim's name and then i just love the fact that it's just like all the time that Trey gets separated gladys and Throg don't know that they're fucking dead until the very end which is just like happy birthday throg you got your you got your revenge served you on a platter yeah, I said it in the Discord. If it if um, he didn't die due to a, just a brutal roll against him, uh, I was going to suggest one of the epilogues be Trey and Gladys and Throg putting on the dragon cloaks and just jumping him, <laughs> just just absolutely jumping this big fish. Watch out! There's three giant, full-grown dragons headed toward your location. <laughs> Uh, Cynic1984 asks Skitch, what was it like to play a character more outside your wheelhouse? Tran was a, tr- was a treat to play as. Um, you know, uh, playing a character that was not meant to be super melodramatic was fun. Um, it w- it, it, Tran was not as, like of a, as much of a pure marshal as I was hoping for when I initially designed him, but he was very fun to play. It was fun to show off some monk shenanigans and um, come up with some fun, like little jokey stuff, and also just the the interactions he had were very fun to play out. I I I still remember fondly the pierogies joke I threw to Dan uh, way back early on, <laughs> but but also then just clandestinely determining yeah Trey just knows random arbitrary nutrition facts because why not? <laughs> um, but yeah, I also find it. I remember your comment, Austin, about like the difficulties in finding a rival for Treyad because he's just too likable from the other NPC standpoint. Which, yeah. So yeah, Treyad was fun. Uh, Bella Octopus Solutions, Austin, and I guess everyone. Which of the creatures the players made do you hate the most? Zorplax, uh, <laughs> Zorplax, fuck them, kill them all, destroy. <laughs> <laughs> or if like I, the most, I should say, because this I feel like for a long time the defining element of the season was like, let's just make some weird animals. Like, you know, that that was very fun to me. That was like the first whole arc of the show. And then it became about, you know, Dragon Quest and other stuff. But like that was for me, I'm gonna remember this is the weird animal season. <laughs> yeah, it was very the weird animal season. I if I do make the if I do reach that goal to make the Dragon Quest comic, I, I don't know how I'm going to draw those fuckers Zorplax. I don't know how I'm gonna draw all these horrible little beasts, but I'll do my fucking best. 
My, my favorite probably would be the all the the Mac uh, Mac tonight's. I, I like the aesthetic <laughs> little floating moons of faces on them. Glockstrafot is pretty pretty based too. He's, <laughs> I love that name. That was he, such a. <laughs> he, he's o- always strapped. <laughs> um. The the one that I the the one that was the art bio was just too much fun to make creatures for. Um, I, I I'm I'm sad that the palrets was not an idea I had that was during the episode. Um, granted, I think if I had suggested an idea, Gladys would have gotten a palret set as opposed to Mac, and I think that would have been a worse outcome since Mac is such a fucking baller little pet for Gladys that I'm kind of happy they didn't come up with the rats at the time. Yeah. Uh, Palrats we really did shotgun like thirty animals out of the biome, didn't we? <laughs> so easy though. It's so so good. The 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 warbs full of paint, perfect. You can't Delicious. change. You can't improve on that. You can't cook them, but you can't improve on them. What about you, Austin? Which which creature did you hate the most? I love them all. They're all my special children. Um, That's a good answer. <laughs> I do. I mean, I like the pig dragon. If I if one I could be friends with, probably that was the best one. Um, oh yeah. Personally, uh, I love pigs. They're very cute. Have you seen the movie Pig? I cried. Fuck. No, I haven't <laughs> seen that. This is this is an official Austin Yorsky recommendation for the Nicolas Cage film Pig. My my life um, is lacking in pig media. How, how similar is it to Babe Two: Pig in the City? I would say not much. <laughs> I'd say not particularly similar. Uh, Cynic1984, Dan, was your decision to play Throg because of extreme characters and the one-shots you played previous? Extreme is an interesting word there. Did they mean like uh, uh, like not normal? <laughs> what does extreme well, mean? This Well, Gorbo Gutterslump was in a, uh, a capitalist nightmare goblin uh, lit in every sense of the term. Uh, I like to commit to a bit and then do it. And Night Shift was just an insane old man that I could say little bits with that didn't make any sense and just shit that out in the world. Uh, I remember I was asked to like, oh, could you play like a a good character? Because there's been some (laughs) concerns about like the main party being a little bit hostile to NPCs and stuff. I was like, okay, I'll play. And we want Dragonborns, Gold Dragonborn then. I'll just play it 100% straight to my understanding of what a gold dragon is. And I watched Gendy Tartovsky's Primal like immediately before making this character. So I just took Spear from that. Yeah, I don't know what it is about my show in particular that makes everyone try to make a feral monster person. Everyone is just immediately fucking jokerified <laughs> if, as soon as they get in front of the microphone. <laughs> you just rip the hinges off the door and, and then you start running. <laughs> There, there is also a difference between like I guess how I tend to make characters generally. If it's like a silly one shot, I'm more inclined to go really all out and stupid. If it's not something that I'm going to be tied to for months at a time, if I'm making a character for like a, a an extended game, he's gonna have. There's gonna always gonna be some weirdness in it for whatever I find interesting, but it's gonna be like I guess a little bit more grounded. Mm-hmm. All right, I've got another question here. Cynic 1984. These are the ones are very specifically for the players in Dragon Quests. So I'm picking them. Skitch, do you think Trayan met Aze? If he did, what did he think of him? This is a character from last season. Canonically, Trayan did pass through Grendel. So to to get to the to get to Arabella, they would have had to pass each other. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, Aze effectively took over the responsibilities of sort of like vetting people on the way up and possibly even doing some guiding if there was a shortage of people to do that. So Train would have met Aze. Uh, Train would have thought that Aze was just kind of like kind of weird, you know, just because he's you know very into stars and, and Train just doesn't get stars. And, but, you know, Aze at least was would be polite and stuff like that. So I don't think Trey would have any sort of bad vibes about him, but you know, it's just like, yeah, oh. it's like, uh, that's, that's cool. I just, I don't know much about this man. And then they would probably have gone over to, um, Oh shoot. Now I forgot their name. Uh, the Bozog. Why can't I Venta? remember Blade. From- Blade. Venta. Yeah. Yeah. Blade. Oh, Trey okay. would have met, Trey would have seen Blade. It would have fucking sparred for like two or three hours before being told, oh, wait, you got to go up to the mountain now. It's like, oh, shit, uh, see you later, Blade, and then just head on up the mountain. So, yes, uh, that's probably what Trey would have ended up doing um, while in Grendel. Uh, Marble Clouds asks, Austin, did Dragon Quest this season inspire the double DM double cast of next season, or was that always going to happen? Um, it was not always going to happen. No, I actually had um, Resubian kind of outlined as far as the arcs I was interested in doing. Uh, Dragon Quest was a huge hit. Everyone loved it. And I was actually on a plane, I think, to Florida, maybe <laughs> for Thanksgiving, or maybe it was when my sister had, yeah, I think maybe when my sister had her baby before that. And I just, uh, before I, we took off or something, I was like, hey, Laura, <laughs> what do you think about doing a double uh, thing? Because just, yeah, I think it was literally Dragon Quest was uh, so successful. Um, so that's 100% why that's happening. Um, otherwise, I was pretty much ready to go. That's pretty cool. Like, I I, I kind of, like, I, like, I made the assumption that, like, the two were connected. But, like, I, was, like I, I did see that question. I was curious what you would say specifically. Yeah. So I, I think I've said before, maybe on Spewpunk, that I've had for years an idea of like a cops and robber season where there's two parties, like one's doing crime, and one's stopping crime, and then presumably at the end they clash. But it's always been like, it's very difficult to wrangle people's schedules at the best of times. And I don't know that I would trust, not trust the right word, but it would be very stressful for me for someone else to do a season where they had to do things right. <laughs> you know, it's very hard to have someone to trust to do that. And Laura is just, you know, uniquely very talented she's uh, also a writer and author she has many books so she's just the right place right time she was available and, and open to it so it's it's something that um you know all the stars aligned and we might do it again depending on uh, how resubian goes so far it's been a blast um i am mm-hmm. living months in the future from you audience <laughs> <laughs> literally yes I imagine that's also part of why that decision was made. So if there's like a schedule slip, it isn't uh, an unending nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, as uh, the world opens back up and stuff, you know, Laura is going to have to go to conferences and stuff for work. Uh, You know, Sam just missed several recordings. Mari's always uh, huffing germs (laughs) and getting sick. Uh, So... Uh, you know, it was a, it's a nightmare. Uh, literally to the very end, to the postmortems, scheduling problems happen. So with with pre-recordings, mm-hmm. um, I will be able to navigate that more easily. Um, follow-up Marble Cloud's question, Austin, was Dragon Quest's a response to Sophie leaving, or was that always going to happen? Once again, 100% Sophie leaving. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much we want to talk about it here. Um, you know, Sophie's spoken of the stuff on her own time, so... 
not going to speak for her. She had some stuff. She left the country, um, and I had to figure out. You know, I could just could have just continued with three players, but I, I know Skitch already had a character, and it seemed like uh, the remaining members of Dragon Quest were varying degrees of polarizing. <laughs> and I know Skitch always makes very beloved characters, so. Well, yeah, and like that was the thing. Like I, and that's why the initial plan was just to record one episode, get trains set up, and get them slotted in. We had a story recorded that will never be published of having like three dragonborns, one gold, a silver, and and bronze. The bronze one being Treyan. The other two dragonborns are killed off uh, in gruesome ways, and then Treyan is left with uh, Rex in the time loop biome. Um, but then the idea came about to, I think, not only create something that was better for the schedule overall, but I think also to help build up a contrasting story. And that's when Dragon Quest kind of came about. And, um, and as you said, like it became very beloved overall. I think you know every all all the characters in there were beloved in their own right. And I think the only regret was just the fact that you know we weren't able to give more screen time to like Throg and Gladys though what they what the screen time they had they capitalized you know capital C capitalized on it really well I've made several people cry and I'm quite proud of that you should be proud yeah you made them cry for <laughs> different reasons there you like <laughs> yeah I, I was worried that this season wouldn't have a moment that got everyone crying that's a dice funk uh staple is the cry episode and I was like oh no the, <laughs> the characters in this one are just too too much of shit bags it's not gonna work this time fuck but uh, Dan came in at the last minute there, buzzer beater. He hit it from full court. <laughs> I, I, I am actually, I think that would be my question, honestly, what the concept, the quote unquote concept art characters that Treyan was uh, this this lost to forever recording were oh, like, yeah. like how, how different or similar they ended up being to what actually, you know, went out into the world. I mean, that's the thing is that the, instead of having eight or nine episodes, it was one. So it was really they were NPCs were very minorly characterized. And they yeah, were I murdered. see. They were murdered yeah, by they, Rex. They, to, they, they uh, were murdered so Trayan. hard. Yeah, they were murdered so hard uh, by <laughs> Rex. It was just wild. Like the gold one died first. They ate shit immediately. The the uh, Trayan was going to get killed by Rex in a different encounter. So the silver ones sacrificed themselves for Trayan and like. All that sort of stuff happened. So there were some things that we kind of landed on. But like I said, overall, I'm much happier with how this panned out. And I think the most interesting consequence of how this was structured was that the the ending with Throg and with a Gort and their mother in particular, that was just sort of me just realizing after we had established what the new world was going to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hmm. This is something that could be done. And I remember mentioning the idea of the resurrection pool to Dan and Dan you know, the thought about the family was brought up. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. You, you're, you, the, the idea was like, wait, but you have the bones of Gort's mother. So wait a minute. Yep. <laughs> and that it, was a really cool. Very nice serendipity. Like, yeah. And I just wanted yes. to, I wanted to add one thing that I remembered is that like, I think when we started planning for Dragon Quest, like instead of the one episode where it was just Skitch and Austin, I think it was like, like Dragon Quest is going to be Sarah, Dan and Skitch. And it's going to be like, three to five episodes and then it kept having more things happen and there was another episode and there was another episode <laughs> like, I, I don't remember the final count but it was a lot longer than i expected it to be but in a good way 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I genuinely didn't know how it was going to go. Like, it's not scripted. I say that a lot, but yeah, the things with the Aboleth really did, uh, you know, hit me as the biggest surprise as I did all of you. So mm-hmm. it just, we felt it out organically. I have a question here from Micklewain. Cosmignon, how do you feel someone made you fan fiction or fan art of your character since people have fallen in love with them, much like you do for other Dice Funk characters? I eat every single piece of fan art that I've gotten of Gladys so far, and I will continue to do so. It gives me power. You're, you, sh- you shouldn't do that. You're gonna you're gonna get some kind of ink poisoning. You're gonna get a tummy ache from all this Gladys love. The reason I say that is because um, apparently the the guy who drew um, where the wild things are once got like once drew like a picture for like a kid that had sent re- written him a letter, and then the mom wrote back like he loved it so much he ate it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Maurice Sendak is his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, incredible. Um uh, it's great it was great having you. I don't know if we've said this enough, but obviously, you know, you've been around since early of the show. you help you help give it a visual language that everyone appreciates. You know, you set the mental image that a lot of people have for our characters. So it's only fair that you get to you know, do some of the stuff from the other side. I feel like I want I feel like they should let me do that for the shows I like. Let me design a JoJo. Come on. I've done <laughs> yeah. so much. It was a big <laughs> honor and, and, and I'm grateful for everyone like like, like you guys that like let, let it happen, like invited me over. Like I, I, I like I, I think it's super cool. It's been very fun. It, w- it would have been very funny if it worked out in some other way where you just came on and you were like a rude, stupid asshole or something. <laughs> it's like, oh no. Oh no. No. Oh, no. I revealed no, my true no, like, colors no. after years of being in this fandom. It was a, it was a long form psyop. Yeah. <laughs> I had to pretend to be normal and talented for a decade, but it paid off. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Another. I, I, oh. I would like to say uh, on the topic of fan art of characters. Uh, I don't believe that you've really made it in the in the creation industry and people t- until people draw horny versions of your characters. <laughs> so uh, I'm waiting on that femboy for dog art. So just t- just hit me up any anytime. Just do what you want. You heard it, folks. You heard it here first. I've been all the way back in season two, so that's easy for me, baby. <laughs> uh, another Marble Clouds here. Austin had the Rentines, and you were legitimately worried about a premature total party kill. Um, and I, it says in this season and others. I'm curious if anyone remembers the closest we've ever come. The Aboleth is, I think, why they asked this question, because that was very close. The other one that comes to mind is that downtime where Cordelia and Blake almost ate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the, the fucking wedding one. Yes, the, yes, yes. The red that wedding. was very powerful. <laughs> I, th- I think that that was good for, all, for both of them. <laughs> <laughs> they had a great time. Conrad and Lauren are still doing doing their fucking dirt over on Let's Talk About Snacks. They're living their best lives. Mm-hmm. That's great. I, I'm trying to think of other incidents when I was around when the TBK was eminent, and I can't think of too many. Um, but <laughs> there was some pressure situations at times where individuals were really threatened during Grendel. Grendel had a lot of really tense-feeling fights, all things considered. Um the one fight against Enri I could think of was just really, oh no, almost everyone is dead. <laughs> and, oh yeah, that was also, that was one of the episodes we had to stop because uh, someone was crying, right? This is the first season, I'll probably say this on Pants for Pets as well. This is the first season we've ever recorded we didn't have to stop a recording because someone was sobbing uncontrollably. Gosh. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should reveal. They can reveal themselves who, who's, who's doing the thing. But, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. this time everyone got through. Maybe, maybe that's why everyone played such fucking assholes. Cause they're like, I, you can't hurt me if I hurt you first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I, I, yeah. So like, gosh, there's definitely a handful of times we are worried. I, I wasn't as worried, but, uh, I will just say flat out, um, kind of Chancellor, uh, connected to that. I've said this in, other locations, but when the reveal on the pants for pets side, when uh, Sprinkles real to Tran, the uh, the the fate of the fate of Gladys and Throg, I the player did not know whether like the expectation was for them to be actually dead or not. Uh, I don't. I mean, Austin might have thought like, of course they probably weren't going to be dead, but my perspective was just like, okay, they might be dead. I don't know. And then that happened, and that legitimately caught me off guard in a good way. It was very satisfying, Austin. You got me. Hook, line, and sinker there. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, a lot of people really liked that scene with the pickaxes. I should say that um, I didn't tip my hand that the gun dragon thing was a freak out or a fake out. Why did I say freak out? A fake out right away. <laughs> what happened was while we were recording the gun dragon episode, my internet died in the middle. And uh, so we lost a bunch of time, and it turned out. That Joa had unplugged the internet to plug in her <laughs> Nintendo Switch. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can't tell this. You can't tell this in the edit. Um, but yeah, we lost so much time. So I came back and I said, "Look, uh, listen. I'm you know I was gonna do this whole big elaborate thing, but uh, to make this faster, I'm just letting you know that there's uh you know uh, Sprinkles and Throg earlier had this conversation with the cards, with the Humpty Grumpty representing you know the people they want to keep safe and." The Melfi Rabbi is them, and the Gun Dragon is the Abeleth. It's like a whole metaphor for this plan they were doing, and it's like the let's just play along. You're this is not a, like I was, you know, I tip my hand more than I was planning to. I was just gonna do it. I was just gonna be like Gun Dragon whips your asses, fuck you, <laughs> you know. Uh, but so go, going into that, there was yeah, you knew a little bit more than I thought you were gonna know, but. Mm-hmm. I I also didn't intend for that to be Throg planning anything to escape the Abeleth. Uh, that was in my mind at that point. Throg putting in the seeds of you got to get away from the Abolith sprinkles. You need to get out of here. Had no intention of saving himself at this point. <clears throat> yeah, that was kind of an off-screen plan. You know, it's like the Ocean's Eleven thing. It's like you you never see the plan. The planning you see always gets disrupted for the planning you don't see, just because it's more satisfying. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I also. I also think that just the aesthetics of the gun dragon fight were just so fucking baller. And the fact that I almost took out the gun dragon as Tran would have been very funny. But I also like the way that ended equally as much as if had Tran actually done the deed himself. Yeah, because I didn't think it was going to be winnable, I didn't customize the stats. That was just a straight-up adult dragon that you were trying to solo. I just did it like rules is written. So you almost won, but it was it was honestly way above your pay grade. Uh yeah, no, normally I do pretty significant tweaks to the monsters so that, you know, they're still a challenge, but that it goes faster. I've talked about this many mm-hmm. times. Cynic 1984, what was Throg's role in the military? What did he start as? What position did he end up as? Uh, so I think Throg started just flat out as a private. I, I put a lot of thought into what his life was like. I think he entered the military uh, probably as young as you could after his father passed away. Uh, in a in a war, essentially to follow in his footsteps. After hearing the story that he then later on tells Sprinkles, he rises to I think about the rank of a sergeant and uh, retires after that. And then that brings him to um, 
where what happens with his family. But yeah, he was a he was a leader of a group of soldiers. He did a lot of violent shit in his life. Some of it re- he regrets. Some of it he doesn't. It's every like everywhere out there. Okie dokie. Uh, Wesley Myers at Attacking Ginger asks, what actually was the huge thing in the life biome? I mean, it doesn't have a name. It's just a new life form that's never existed mm-hmm. before, you know? So um, I was definitely thinking of the, those illustrations by that artist who I, I name dropped in the episode. But between planning that thing existing and the recording, uh, the film Nope came out. And like, <laughs> like, that kind of drew in a lot of the th- themes and motifs i had in mind if you haven't seen that film 2022 austin yorsky movie of the year uh probably one of my favorite movies of all time it's uh everything i was going for so uh it doesn't have a name maybe in a future season it will but it's just a big thing there i mean is it multiple things is it one big thing with multiple parts you know because like you said i've said in the distance you see other things rising up like mountaintops (laughs) you know it's like a whole (laughs) thing so So that description (laughs) Like it implies that it's not like a one-to-one analogous thing to something like inside, like a a living thing, like how there was like hair and like skin. Like this isn't like oh, like th- this is a white blood cell. End of story. Like it's a different thing entirely. Yeah, the idea was that it was a new thing, but it still had you know it was biological, so it would have still had white blood cells. I think was something I was thinking about showing up if you tried to get to the reliquary. Um, if you'll recall, I think you all of you were like, nah, fuck that. We're out of here. <laughs> um, and so that, yeah, then I had the angel say, oh, we already went to the reliquary. So there's a bunch of stuff like that, like where Panzer Pets, uh, got to the reliquary first. And so no one else did, but like, if they had for whatever reason been like, no, we got to get to the front of the pack. We got to go faster than other characters would have got the items, you know, all that stuff was in, in flux. Um, so. I think the life biome was also the the place as a player I was the most interested in. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I I would have been curious how it would have panned out. Like, if I used I don't know the the pickaxe to try to shape metal in the iron in the bloodstream as a method <laughs> to kill it by giving it an embolism, or like, hey, can I find its mouth and try to beast speak it, or uh, contact it, like speak to it? What does it happen? Is it intelligent? I don't know. That's the kind of stuff that interests me. Make it swallow a couple of neodymium magnets because that'll you know that will just take care of it in the inside. Problem solved. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I was definitely expecting there or not expecting. I was definitely prepared for you to be like, no, this thing gotta go, and that's why I had the uh, the plasmoid show up and being like, no, this is how it's supposed to be. We will defend it. Um, so yeah, a lot of different possibilities there. Trinity Codex, did I? Do at Trinity Codex question, are there biomes that weren't mentioned on the podcast? Yes, many. I basically have, uh, you know, infinite ideas for infinite things to happen on the show. And I just throw them at the players until we reach a point where everyone's, you know, had a character arc and then things wrap up is how this goes. So we could have done this, you know, we could have done Arabella for years. Like I could just say, oh, there's a new biome to the east. There's a new one. There always is. It's, you know, there's no reason it had to be as long as it was. I just Mm. started, you know, saying, oh, you're getting close when it felt like it was time to get to the end. So pretty much. I mean, like, yeah, like, you know, there's so many options you can go with because the number of biomes is only contained by how many splash uh, form conduit platonic ideal concepts you can run with. So like, it's all a matter of just having different vistas for individual characters that have arcs and interactions with NPCs. And once you have run all those courses, you don't need any more because at that point, the show is about the biomes at, rather than the characters. And 
there is a show in which the it could be about the biomes, but the show we were running was about the characters more than anything else. So that's what dictated, yeah. Yeah, so the whole structure of Arabella is essentially a machine for giving the, the party a puzzle and a item and a power-up. You know, you can in, <laughs> infinitely insert content into that. Like, you could procedurally generate a video game with this basic pre- premise, right? Um, mm-hmm. And especially because I don't, usually don't use dungeons in my campaigns. They're just not satisfying for a listening audience the way they are for you playing on, a, on graph paper with your friends. But this is one where I like could write dungeons into the campaign in a more digestible, like snackable form, if that makes sense, <laughs> instead of them being yeah. twi- twisting labyrinths you can't visualize. There's just kind of one one little gimmick and one little puzzle. Um, in fact, we got a question here from Sam Hopper at Nyeg, N-Y-E-E-H-G. Are there any puzzles you wanted to use the party you didn't experience? Uh, for example, did you have a scenario planned for the dessert reliquary that Fortunato solved off screen? Um, no, basically, I came up with those, you know, each puzzle basically the day before we sat down because I never knew who was going to get there first or, you know, if it would be an NPC, there's no reason to plan out a whole puzzle for NPCs to solve. That's me. I am yeah. NPCs. So. <laughs> I, I still think about the reliquary from the, uh, the, the future biome where, you know, there's, there's, there's P2, there's a sword. There was no need to do a elaborate puzzle for it. And then Mari just proposes a, a skill challenge to get it. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a great that's a great thing to point out because I did have something else planned for that. There was like a, a big screen in there, and there was a the god of the future was giving a big speech and would have introduced the puzzle like saw <laughs> like you know want to play a game, duel my sword, and then uh, you just you just crit to pull it out, and I think I said like it just shuts off in the background. <laughs> I, that, I still, that's powerful. That, that's I, I've said that's like my my second most like disastrous crit in the in my history of dice funk. The other one being season two <laughs> mm-hmm. i i find it very amusing at, at, at that um p2 was the item that you got from the future biome because like the, the the future biome has like a very like industrial mcdonald's play pit <laughs> <laughs> energy and then you just have like this like stupid joke sword that does cool <laughs> cool like healing damage <laughs> combos <laughs> like, the, the sword is canonically out of place. It, it's so and it's like it's canonically for lesbians but Trey is the one who gets it somehow sure <laughs> we got a lot of questions about p2 i was ex- i was gonna keep most of them for the other party but i guess i'll say this one in short sight asks when gladys reproduces pussy two does it make more pussy twos or does it make pussy three pussy four pussy five etc it makes pussy to the power of whatever number it's been made out of oh no oh it's exponential <laughs> yes. oh. horrifying oh no so we're gonna use scientific notation to depict this got it oh Holy shit Pussy, you know, so it'd be like pussy cubed and then pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. Hate it. Love it. Um, Are there any questions any of you saw that I haven't asked yet? Um, I've got like over 100 here, so I may have missed it skimming. Let let me know. Throw one out. Yeah. Okay. So let me see. I remember seeing one there. Um, Okay. Here's one from Marble Clouds for Dan. So uh, in your plan for the character, where did Throg learn to have such an idealistic view on dragons? Uh, so when, when I make characters for D and D games, 
I, I've gone through like phases of things I like to do. Like um, I've, and I've sort of left the, the place where I like to subvert tropes. Right. So the, the way I took it was, okay, I don't really know a lot about like Dice Funk's world. I know it's not a standard world. I'm going to treat like gold dragons and metallic dragons sort of as they're written. And, but I'm going to have to like acknowledge the fact that it's not probably not that simple. So I figured, okay, Throg has an idealized view of dragons because this is what he's grown up in. He's going to attempt to meet that ideal, but he also has to acknowledge the fact that, hey, they're ancient fucking powerful lizards that can obliterate anyone that opposes them if they really feel like it. And there's a lot of problems associated with that, which is why I think he acknowledges this a few times. He doesn't care about what dragons are. He cares about what they ought to be. Right. Yeah. And we talked a lot during like, like off camera about ideas about Throg. And I think that was a nice, succinct way of describing the thought process for Throg over time about why they view what they do and mm-hmm. what their attitude about the party, the dragons from below and others around them. Mm-hmm. It it also, I guess, should be noted that I personally don't actually really like Dragonborns as a, like a playable character in D&D. I've never really understood where they fit into the world. It, it To me, it always seemed like it was kind of like, okay, well, you're playing D&D, you, you should be able to play a dragon. So they just kind of added them in. I've never really gotten like a solid idea of what they should be. So mm-hmm. I just kind of played Throg as a dragon, but in a bipedal form is how I took right. it. You were even talking about being like a half dragon instead, which was an idea that was presented in like third edition and older editions of D&D. And fourth edition had the draconians. But I think easiest, mechanically, just be a dragonborn, then narratively massage it to fit the idea of where you're coming from for Throg. Yeah. Can I say that I love that you all understood the assignment and then tried to carry it out <laughs> it sounds like a pretty low bar but i was just like you know you're all up here for a unified purpose um i, I didn't say you had to be dragon i threw out a couple ideas about like you know i think it was like oh you could be like angel people or dragon people or you know demon people just like one kind of group of something yeah. so you have a unified purpose and then you all were like cool we will attempt to do this thing <laughs> which is unusual <laughs> in the history of dice funk <laughs> or i say this is orc season and then no one makes an orc <laughs> The funnier thing about that was the fact that Sarah and Dan came up with a gold and basically a silver colored uh, party member, which was not forced by either Austin or me, but that reflected the one the one off uh, test recording that we did for who Trey and party uh, teammates were effectively, which was fun. Um, I got a question for Sarah. All right. So how do you think Gladys would have changed? This is from Cynic 1984. Um, how do you think Gladys would have changed if she decided to kill Rex early on instead of letting them live? I've been thinking about this because I think whether or not she killed Rex, I think she, she, she like, I, I forget how much I was a like, I, I ended up saying this on air or not, but I, I feel like Gladys f- felt guilty in a way for letting Rex go and I think she would also feel guilty for killing Rex just for like obviously different reasons and like in my mind's eye I think both lead to Throg's discussion about like sometimes you just gotta kill someone and it might have been a direction for Gladys to become more uh not aggro but like 
maybe more aggressive earlier on. Mm-hmm. I do think that her shift at the end towards Kushim was again very nice. It was a uh, a shift in terms of being more assertive and confident. That was nice to see, especially at that back end there where the party just had it with the abolith and then everything goes great. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I like I, the thing that I am glad I was able to do as a character arc is that I started Gladys off as someone who gets pushed around a lot, just came out of a bad breakup, like lost a job that like she liked doing, but had trouble making work. And so I think that like going to the new world and, t- and facing these kinds of challenges, like, do you like kill someone or do you let them go? How do you survive in a place that's so hostile in some places and like nice in others? And, and like, it was just a matter of like Gladys learning to take the reins, so to speak. Uh, we got some questions here. Uh, Jax is at Pergeet. Tori, which I believe is the season six reference. What was the biggest mistake your character made, in your opinion? Hmm. I mean, trained as perfect and never made any mistakes. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, I, I when I look at mistakes, I think of like uh, decision mistakes and not like bad roles and stuff. I would say that, I don't know, maybe proposing getting Chad back, but at that point, again, like, uh, from trans perspective, Chad was like not that bad. All things considered, it was more Xana that was the problem. So like bringing Chad back wasn't a huge of an issue. But like, I mean, that's the uh, thing about mistakes in a role playing contest or context yeah. is that they're often just opportunities for storytelling. Like, right. I guess it's a mistake that your character went on an adventure <laughs> and got <laughs> mixed up in all kinds of shenanigans. Uh, yeah, but so, like everything yeah. else that happens is just story. So. Yeah, like Pretty re- much, relating yeah. back to the previous question, like in some contexts, you could consider Gladys's decision to let Rex go a mistake because he just kept trying to build up more power and then concluding in like the hundred death time loop thing. But also, that's an interesting story to tell, and I think that that was like an interesting conclusion to that like side bar where like every time you we we got to like a different reliquary, we kind of saw the echoes of the consequences of that where like Rex already got there and busted in Uh I I guess in character like the biggest mistake that you could consider throg making is that and this is just the nature of having to like the uh, split the parties of trans with P for P and uh, Gladys and uh, throg are off to the side uh, not using the cloak after he got it to immediately try to just fly around and find train or confirm what happened to him. But that's also just the nature of like, you know, how this gets recorded. I mean, that's the nature of you deciding to give yourself a, a story breaking item. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're yeah, like, damn, I should have used, I should have used that TARDIS. I gave myself to go back and stop <laughs> anything bad from ever happening. It's like, I yeah, guess, but I you didn't have to have a TARDIS. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking, okay, what, what would you put in a dragon, uh, a dragon biome as the, as the magic item? And the answer is, oh, something that lets you cast shape of dragon kind. Uh, here's a question for me, uh, to, to Dan and Sarah here. So what was something that was like an offer or role play thing that like Austin provided that was like a very pleasant surprise during the season for you? Like, it was like a really fun opportunity that you may not have been expecting on the way in. 
I think I've talked about this on the server, but like definitely like getting the helmet from Bronco was a very uh, nice surprise and also something that I don't, I don't know if Austin planned it or if it was just a nice bit of serendipity. It, it encouraged me to get more confident with my role playing because <laughs> it, it like the helmet's <laughs> flavor kind of told me at least like I can't just role play Gladys is cowering in fear behind the dog every turn. <laughs> Uh, no, that's actually interesting you asked that because uh, the items were created in Pants for Pets before we recorded Dragon Quest. It is so difficult to untangle the order things are recorded in. I know someone tried to piece, <laughs> someone tried to piece it together based on the cow foreshadowing. There's an episode <laughs> where someone talks about cows and then there's an episode on the other side where I say, oh, cow foreshadowing. And like they aren't released in that order or something. It's very hard. It's not, it wasn't back to back. It wasn't one and then the other. You'll never be able to, you'll, you would need a fucking uh supercomputer to figure out what order things are recorded in the the only like note you might have is that uh we knew who like when p4p was recording skitch did not know what actually happened with uh uh uh, in dragon quest as in we hadn't even gotten to the point of recording the uh the actual like i think latter half of it so it was we no one knew what happened couldn't talk about it right oh yeah 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 for sure i would say that probably for you dan was probably just a lot of the aboleth stuff for throg honestly yeah Yeah, uh it'd be it'd be two things one the aboleth which is basically like the the dark mirror of everything throg believes and it's an ancient powerful creature that uses everything it's capable of for evil uh and honestly, the uh, slimes in the life biome, because it forced Throg to accept, uh, to like go through his moral calculus of, okay, I think everything here is horrific. I think what happened to the angels was like a complete invasion and subversion of their body, likely against their will, which I'd also attribute to what happened in the future biome with the, um, the other research team. But there are creatures that want to live here and just live in peace. Ergo, I cannot let this happen, or I cannot destroy this, and I cannot mm-hmm. tell Laser about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, to finish that thought, uh, I when I created the helmet, the ladybug shield, and all those items that they get from the love bugs, uh, that happened before they were introduced in Dra- Dragon Quest, from my perspective. Uh, so I, I didn't know that you were going to play a character who was like struggling with confidence, who would, that would have improved. I think from the audience's perspective, you get attached to all those items and then Pants for Pets gets them, which is a sucker punch, <laughs> but it is not what happened to me. <laughs> it, it, it's so funny. like the sequencing for that. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, it's a very simple gesture. And that was when Austin proposed in the, uh, the, what is that? The, the which biome was it? Was it we call it the food biome? I guess is what it was. The dessert uh, biome. The dessert biome. Yeah, when you just offered up Treyan to effectively be the one that like grows rather than Boogie, the uh, the Aetheropteryx, uh, because of all the attempts to try to get like a crit to get the evolution to happen, I just never panned out. And offering that as like an alternate route was a a fun one. It also helped solidify some story elements that I wasn't even thinking about until that moment. Um. So that was a that was a fun uh, consequence of all that. 
Yeah, it worked out really well. Um, <laughs> there's another question here from Cynic. In season five, the party had a chance to visit an Abolith. If they had visited the, that Abolith, would they have talked like Kushim did? Uh, <laughs> I literally, I don't know if you're going to believe me. I didn't know how Kushim was going to talk until, until I started talking. It just happened. <laughs> uh, Austin got possessed. Oh, it's so I perfect. It's so I good. don't have a theater background. I don't, I've never done any training. I don't plan, like, I don't speak out loud when I'm planning this podcast. I, I am on a treadmill mill or I'm like walking to the grocery store or something and it just it's in my head until I sit down in front of a microphone that's just how it came out <laughs> I'm sorry so, what, I don't, what does that say about you that internally the first thing that came out was Joe Biden I think it was just because I tried to get into the headspace of someone whose consciousness had persisted for since the beginning of time what does that do to exactly. a person's mind mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how you sound I literally this sounds stupid but like you have to try to inhabit where the character's at like what do they want right. what are they trying to you know where are they coming from um, and, and which you is know what they, they look you in the eye and go listen fat <laughs> yeah <laughs> They really do. Which is funny because <laughs> I think it puts some people off of Walter, who I was trying to play like a, a kind of a gentle, sweet uh, thembo. <laughs> and uh, some people are like, this person is a toxic jock. And it's like, I guess I didn't realize that maybe that's, you know, that's for something I need to examine because I thought they were pretty, pretty cool and likable. But people are like, I no, think, they're being a dick. <laughs> I think Walter is like... Like I can see why his why their actions would be interpreted as them being a dick, but like also, like I think it comes across as th- <laughs> it comes across as them not really thinking that that's how it sounds. So I think it's still charming. Yeah, I kind of just, uh, made the first research team to be foils for the second research team. So Walter was supposed to be like basically a victim of Zana's uh, n- narcissism. You know, it's the way she is, you know, victimizing people. And Walter was supposed to be someone who's just like kind of uh, unaware of how toxic their friend is. But then, you know, Mari stopped playing Zana and things had to go in a different direction. So I was like, what is Walter's role in the story now? And it turned out like, oh, this is, uh, you know, Trayan's rival, good, na- good natured sports <laughs> rival. And then they had that foot race where you won, but then you turned around and helped them up. And it's like, well, I can't be mad at you now. You can't give me the opportunity to just like make Trey and just be like the good sport and all that because Trey is going to take it 100%. They're just too precious of a boy not to go down that route. Um, But yeah, I mean, also from the standpoint of like the dynamics of Walter, I mean, they're they're just fun to riff off of. They're fun to interact with. So, you know, like, yeah. Um, also, the the audience picked up on my naming theme pretty early. I think since the person who found it on the Discord, since they were just Googling randomly, it wasn't from knowledge. But like, if if the accent wasn't a tip off, uh, <laughs> definitely my favorite character. Also from a naming perspective, so I was I was a big fan of Walter. I, I'm glad most of the NPCs uh, were well received. Um, Sprinkles, I was really worried about because not being able to talk means it's hard to characterize. Like the voice is half of what people enjoy about a character sometimes. And that was a huge challenge. And I think it worked. I think Sprinkles uh, yeah. has a big fan club. Yep. I think also just Sprinkles being associated with the new ones helps quite a lot. I, I mean, the new ones were a concept that resonated well with the audience and Sprinkles basically trying to act as sort of their, their collective guardian, I think was a really endearing quality um, beyond the other traits of sprinkles that made them very dynamic and endearing. So, 
Yeah, I've, some people have asked in these questions, is Sophie going to be on the postmortems? And I, I do not think so at this point. I've talked to her about, you know, I actually did talk to her about doing a Dio epilogue. Maybe we'll talk about this on Pants for Pets as, uh, as well. Um, but it's just emotionally and, uh, you know, strategically difficult to get that kind of stuff done. Uh, Sophie, you know, says maybe someday she'll be back. We, we talked about some stuff, but right now it's not in the cards. So um, mm -hmm. that's all I can say about the, that right now. I will also just throw out this just in uh, Trayan would not have existed as a character if it wasn't for Sophie. Uh, a large portion of Trayan's characterization and design was a direct challenge from Sophie to me. So <laughs> you know, even though I, I can't say it to her directly, I can't thank her enough for just pushing me to make, you know, a a lighthearted, not melodramatic himbo-esque character and being able to try that as well as I can. Granted, the voice I ended up doing for Trayan did not help because that was a very different voice that I had planned for Trayan in the onset. <laughs> yeah, there was a question here. I skimmed over it. So I, I could look and try to find the name, but someone asked, like, what is the, you know, you were the last time voice the whole time. So does that mean Trayan was there the whole time? I don't know if you want to speak to that, but. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, like, I think there was, I think, uh, Cynic, uh, 1984 mentioned about how uh, when it appeared Trayan wasn't going to be in the season, he was still the last time a dice funk. So here's what happened. Austin asked me by the time episode two was coming around to just do a last time voice. I did not think about who the character was. I thought it was going to be one of the gods. That's where that's why I did a lot of voices that were a lot of deeper resonance, lower register stuff. Austin picked the voice that. You, you did. And then later on, when the situation with Sophie was happening, you were just saying, hey, would you be available to rejoin in on season nine as Treyan? And then I was like, oh, OK. And then the, the point was just brought up like, well, you already have a voice for the character. You just got the last time voice. I'm like, oh, oh, no. OK. <laughs> and just having to work from there. And so it's a very interesting, like, uh, you know, uh, serendipitous situation to be in. Yeah, I try to make the last times be uh, diegetic if possible. Usually they are. I think you go back each season and re realize who's telling the story. So in my brain, uh, Treyan is the last time on Pants for Pets because he is telling Pants for Pets when he met, met them what happened to him. Like there was like some campfire scene where he's like, here's what happened to me. Here's my story. And you're just telling that. And then you start narrating when you join. And then uh, Gladys is last time on the other one because she's writing everything down in her journal. Mm -hmm. That's how I I'm thinking of the, the podcast, if you're thinking of it as existing in-universe. Yeah, I thought the diegetic last time element is a really fun idea um, because it adds a little extra small mystery through there. So, uh, yeah, uh, very good. Sorry for taking up so much time on that. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, so if anyone has anything they want to talk about, feel free to jump in there. I'll say another Rain Dean and Patreon Demon question. Is there a lesson you took away from this season? I think uh, for me personally, I'm going to try to put my foot down more in character creation about what we're doing. Uh, basically, I try to always have a don't say no policy, uh, which comes from a very idealistic place. But, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it, it bites me in the butt. And this time I think Zana and Vimble coming out the gate. Uh, so toxic <laughs> it made a lot of people unhappy. And, um, you know, I knew that they wouldn't fit in with what was going on. And I said that to them. And they were like, no, it'll work. It'll be fine. And I think I just need to be more assertive going forward is what I've learned. I think the lesson that I took away from this the most is that uh, something that I struggled with a lot and I'd like to do better on like in the future, like when I get to like 
be on a one shot or like some fine day, maybe even a full season is like just learning to speak up more during the conversation because there, I, I remember there were many conversations like during the recordings where like, I think I had something I wanted to add, but like everyone else was also talking and I didn't want to interrupt. And by the time that they were done talking, the, the moment had passed. <laughs> Can I just say it was so hard not to talk over you there for the joke? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that, I mean, that's something that uh, I'll just say up flat out. There's been times in prior seasons where I would interrupt people kind of out of turn. Part of that's just because of nervous excitement or wanting to contribute. Um, and other times it's because of latency on Discord. And that's that's generally a, a, a challenge. So, um, you know, the audience doesn't understand how much time I spend every week fixing crosstalk. It is truly comical. I know a lot of people would say, like, that's normal for a podcast. Just leave it in. Uh, but the thing you hear is after me spending 14 hours making sure people aren't talking over each other every week. Um, it is truly hellacious <laughs> for me personally. I don't know if it's a you know neuroatypical thing, but I cannot stand it, and I have to eliminate it. Big, big same. I think... The tricky part is having the uh, the internal clock to know how to wait for like just that extra half second before jumping in to avoid a crosstalk or interrupting someone in the middle of a thought when you thought that they were done. So hard to do in an audio only form. I have to say everyone has different like verbal tics and you have to get used to those. For example, Laura often finishes a sentence with and which maybe you won't understand this because of how I edited it, but she pretty much like has a thought and, and then stops. And then like, no one knows if she's going to continue or not. There was this at the, it's literally the, the episode of red, red is revealed. It's the traitor God um, where sketch was trying to talk for two solid Christian minutes. Um, just going like, um, uh, um, uh, uh, like I isolated that file and just looked at it in this, in the audacity. I was like, what? This is like Eldritch. How long you were trying to talk. Uh, because I, 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 Everyone kept trying to yell it red. <laughs> and the reason why in the final edit, what you hear is Laura say, uh, Red, uh, Red, uh, hey, Red, uh, hey, Red, uh, home gang is how it comes out. But that's because everyone was trying to talk at the same time. <laughs> and I let, I cut everyone else out. And so all you hear is it sounded like Juniper is just like trying to tee up the most epic burn. I, I love the way it turned out. It's so funny in context. But the reason yeah. it's like that is because everyone was shouting. Mm -hmm. and, and like, yeah, it, it, I apologize for having those extra ums for you to edit out there, Austin. But yeah, for the same time, it's just it's a challenge for this particular medium and how things are recorded. And, you know, uh, <laughs> it just is. By the way, uh, so Dan, so what did I, you learn? I was actually going to say here, uh, my, uh, my lesson was actually a little bit the reverse of this. I have a very bad habit, and I, I probably still did this a little bit too much in Dragon Quest anyway, uh, of just kind of taking control of scenes and doing things. Because I'm used to being in like D D games where people aren't very like maybe assertive, isn't there? They're not good at committing to a course of action. So eventually, I'll just go. All right, I guess I'm gonna do this then. Yeah, I was literally in a home game once where the the entire session was about whether to enter a room or not, and it was like the DM basically uh, just got up and left because he's like, if you if you don't want to play this game, we don't have to play this game. But everyone is just so scared, and that just ha like everyone really doesn't want to make a mistake. They don't want to mm -hmm. look stupid, and that is magnified a million fold when you have an audience like that. There was no audience for that home game. You know what I'm saying? Like the worst that could happen is you die, and then you get to go play PlayStation. <laughs> but like yeah. he, here. 
here on the show, if you fuck up, you know, a hundred people are going to say you're a dumb idiot and you should quit and, you know, hurt yourself or something. It's a, it's a really bad mm -hmm. uh, psychologically to uh, fuck up and you have to kill that voice in your head and just sometimes, uh, you know, just kills on it. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes like an additional like layer on top of like not knowing when to interject is that a lot of the times I felt like, like I, f I consider myself a very creative person, but I'm very creative when I have time to sit down and plan what I want to do. Mm -hmm. the, the improv made it like really, I remember a lot of like really, um, a lot of the really neat creative stuff for Gladys came about because of like through like the like suggestions from Dan and Skitch, which I appreciated a lot. I did sometimes like internally feel like, oh, I'm not being creative enough. I'm not I'm not playing the character good enough because I can't come up with the cool things for her. <laughs> different people operate on different wavelengths when it comes to what they can come up with on the fly. And so like that's always tricky to do. There's certain things I'm pretty slow at doing when it comes to role playing as well, which I think for each of us, you know, when, if there's something that we have a, if we're in a situation where someone's really quick on the uptake and you're not quite as fast, that can feel, that can feel a little rough, but uh, no one is intentionally trying to make someone have a bad time at the table. I think what just matters is making sure that there's a clear communication with everyone involved so that, you know, there's at worst, there's a hiccup, clear the space and then we pick up where we left off so i think that's a that's a big deal there uh dragon quest was a pretty unique challenge as well because this is the first time you've ever had like a full thing where i have to be aware of two timelines not contradicting them so i guess uh -huh. skitch you can speak to this but for dan and sarah this is your first time playing with me and you experienced me having to stop and go like wait hold on is yep. that Fuck! Did I, what did I say in the other like in a way that's never happened on the show before? Where I, I, had to I remember do... specifically like during like the like the final like batch of the first Dragon Crest recordings, like you having to step in being and, and be like you can't have the pickaxe like damage the helmet because it shows up later in the other part. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and from my perspective, I had to do the same kind of thing. I literally had two different character sheets for train at all times. There was one point in one of the recordings where. Uh, while in the Dragon Quest fork of Treyen, I was trying to do action search. And I forgot, wait a minute, no, I didn't get a second level in Fighter yet, so I don't have action search. Oops, roll back, let's redo this turn. And now with Laura and I both doing uh, Resubian, we have to do th this kind of thing of being like, oh shit, did you already kill that guy? <laughs> is, that, is that person alive on my side? <laughs> uh, so it's pretty... It's pretty difficult doing this show. I try not to whine about the thing where I pretend to be an elf on the internet, but <laughs> sometimes there are difficult you're, parts of it. You're, 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 you're like basically like the, like, like director for, for, for like seasons long creative project. It's, it's going to be hard. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm trying to think of what I learned during the season. I mean, I just... I mean, I learned one to just appreciate the just amount of just work on your part. Austin, even more so, especially because of managing two different recordings a week that you're DMing plus the editing and the other stuff. And also just being uh, more okay with not having to have like really precise control over a character's story in the same way that I've had in the past. Um, I like making backstory content to offer up like little trinkets for people to work with. But for Treyen, because I had sort of stopped writing their backstory when they first weren't going to be in 
Arabella, I never really solidified a lot of stuff. And it was actually kind of fun to do a character that was that breezy to run with, all things considered. I I I remember um like I I I have like a biome related question for you Austin which is something I've been wondering about for a long time like I remember like does the prairie biome like did you ever have anything like planned out about like who made that one because I know that like in season 7 like a big laser just punched a hole through the sky so I don't I I don't imagine that the gods like intentionally like made the whole in in the new world like at that biome like that was supposed to be the welcome biome so so like the prairie is like something that like interests me in a mystery kind of way yeah to set the stage the the laser that goes off in season seven punches the hole in the sky that area actually sealed up and then the uh entrance you used was the druids of mount grendel raised the peak to pierce the sky is how uh, that works, um, and that—that's a whole thing. With, like, okay, I forgot a step. Yeah, that's uh, Voya's like backstory. She's like the person who ma- made uh, the one good bridge to Arabella by raising Mount Grendel's peak through the the ceiling. Um, so yeah, that isn't there is no welcome biome. I don't. I mean, I, mean, I guess there could theoretically be a god of welcome. <laughs> There's no re- the god of the. <laughs> That'd be so, oh, they're just be a there. god of hospitality. <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't yeah. thought of that. That's certainly possible. I just love the idea that Bob never gets visited, and then like, and and just like, oh, well, I hope someone shows up here at some point. Want to say welcome to Arabella? You know, nobody but, showed up oh, to my party. No one showed up to the party. I got balloons ready. We're losing helium every day, but I'm still going to keep these balloons inflated for the newcomers. I, I don't have context for this character, so I'm just assuming it's the gingerbread man from Shrek. You're a monster! <laughs> yeah, it's on a invimble stealing all his gumdrop buttons. <laughs> so yeah, they get there. Um, I guess to answer the question, um, the first biome, which I d- didn't have a name, I actually I thought there would be a whole arc in that area where they would like get involved in the naming process. I was like, oh, it's going to be like a you know, there's going to be a vote or something, and we'll st- stick around there longer. And then they just did a murder, and we had to run. Um, so that was going to be more of a thing. Um, here, here's the answer to the question. I had a couple ideas of things that could have been true about it, and I was prepared to make one of them canon if it came up. But ultimately, it didn't, and so nothing has been confirmed on screen. That's often how I do it. People ask me, like, is such and such true? And it's like a bunch of different things could have been true, but I don't know which one until the players interact with it. Like there wasn't Pussy 2 until Mari <laughs> spoke it into existence, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, there would have been something else in that room. Um, and in the same way, uh, I was thinking – I don't know if I want to say this out loud. Uh, a lot of people ask me, how much did I know about new ones in Dio? And the answer is only what you heard Sophie say. <laughs> Sophie did not tell me anything off air. She didn't say on air. Um, and so, uh, you know, new ones were a mystery to me as well. We were learning about them together. Um, and uh, that they turned out to be fragments of the form. That's not Sophie. Like, that's that's me. That's not how it would have turned out if Sophie would have stuck around. Sophie would have revealed something to me. Instead, um, and one of the things I was keeping open was that her creator was like the creator of Dio and the new ones was the creator of the first biome and that basically Dio had wandered out of the reliquary 
and then been put to work <laughs> by the people who saw her there. And that basically the way the season would have ended is that they, you know, maybe the, they get to the traitor god or they get find some evidence of that. And then the season ends with them going back to the beginning. I do this a lot. <laughs> it's a, it's a writing tick of mine, a signature trademark, your skiism. I said, like stories to end where they began. And so I was thinking maybe they, the way that Arabella wrapped up is they go back to the first biome and deal you know, seize the tomb of their creator. This is non-canon. This, this is this is just something that Austin had planned, and I I find it interesting that you did have a plan for it because I know sometimes you just like you said, like you sit down and plan it like before the session happens, and, and so knowing what you did have plans for and what you just came up with like afterwards is very interesting to learn about. I try to have like my mind open to the possibilities of the universe. You know, once you once you lock something in in your mind, and then someone else says something that contradicts it, that's better. You don't want to have to go with the worst idea, you know, the, mm-hmm. the lesser idea. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of my questions are always like related to how how does the world work? How I think I thought I asked a few little bit of in this uh, the season. How far up does the sky go? What happens if you keep going? If you dig down, <laughs> where does that lead you? I like to know where the edges of things are because I I like lore. I like crunch. I mean, right. I I obsessively used to read monster manuals just to memorize everything because I thought monsters were neat. Um, I guess one like actual story question that I'm curious about. Is, is Sprinkles just going back to the nocturnal biome over and over again with a bag of holding and collecting whatever <laughs> gems end up there? Yeah. Yep. After you showed her where it was, yeah, she would go there. Well, she was also trying to – I think she spent more time taking them back from explorers who were picking them up. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the she found a bunch of ruined skiffs during the swamp arc. I don't know if you listened to that, Dan. Um, but the, the <laughs> basically uh, – Sprinkles was out there smoking fools who had like bags full of gems and whatever. So, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, that that was another thing. I don't we we didn't talk about it in the uh, the epilogue, but Throg would have probably probably would have liked to have another like moment with Sprinkles where Throg would have said, "I'm sorry, you didn't get your uh, uh, biome. I would have liked you to stay here, but your people are a sack full of gems, and these are dragons. It's a bad idea." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Sprinkles, like, leaving to find a home is, like, a sad but good ending. Like, (laughs) it's certainly preferable to her dying horribly, which is, I think, on the table for a lot of the season. So, yeah. She's so, so small, so weak. (laughs) As a last question for me to you, Austin, um, someone asked the question, uh, Lightsaber ERB, like, what was a, what were character choices that other players made that you particularly loved out of curiosity was there anyone that anything that jumped out at you from the dragon quest side that you were that you thought like oh that's a really neat choice i had not anticipated but i love it yeah Um, i mean there's there's a bunch i I usually say them on this episode i'm like oh i didn't think that's really cool but um i think all of the stuff with uh, gladys deciding to duplicate the items was like none of that was talked about beforehand or planned i like when characters take the initiative to accomplish things a thing that's often uh you know comes up in role plays you have players who don't want to commit or don't want to you know get get like get their hands dirty <laughs> it's like a thing where people often make characters where they're like oh i have no connection to this story or these set the setting or these characters i don't I don't know. It's it's this thing where it's like, well, then why are you playing <laughs> if you don't want to if you don't want to get involved? Right. Um, and Gladys really really got uh, invested, which is great. 
Um, so I, I love that very much. I'm trying to get as far as like character choices. Like I just like everything Throg and Trayan did, but they're also the kind of characters who were like, you know, pl- doing good at D and D. They were winning <laughs> fights and solving puzzles. So um, I'd have to think about it a little bit more. Sure, sure. I, but just like a, a snap judgment was was fun to hear. Like I've already gushed on the things that you've done. That I thought were really, you know, just really cool. I was not expecting that. And I've already gushed plenty of times about both Dan and Sarah's decisions. So, you know, it's just fun for everyone to sort of sort of like pat each other on the back and be like, yeah, you all did great, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, d- d- just uh, Skitch, Dan, like both had really cool characters, did a lot of cool shit. Yeah, all in all, really based crew we got here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Sophie's got me saying based on ironically now. I didn't used to do that. I didn't used to be this person. <laughs> so I asked a question for you. When's the dragon season? Oh, that's very funny. Uh, so yeah, going into this season, I said we're going to make the biome that a future season takes place in, which is true. I wasn't expecting two uh, juicy-ass <laughs> ecosystems to play with. Um, I don't like to commit to things that I don't know are going to deliver on. I change my mind constantly. The audience really doesn't know because I don't announce every time I change my mind because mm-hmm. it basically happens every day. Um, but I think, don't hold me to this, uh, Resubian's season 10. Season 11 is the biome at the edge of the universe, which we didn't name. I was leaving the uh, you know the door open for the party to name that place, but they haven't, so I'm doing it. And then season 12 might be dragon season. Um, that's currently what I'm thinking. You know, anything can change, but that's that's you may have actually done me a quite a favor, Dan, and <laughs> taken it upon yourself to do world building for my show. I'll keep writing in the the design document then. All right, I have I have big ideas. Uh, I don't know if I want to say too much, but I think it's going to be a very high concept uh, thing. I think it's going to be one of those things where like, whoa, you're doing what? Animal it's Crossing like, with dragons? Got it. Uh, well, <laughs> I've promised Animal Crossing before, and Sophie <laughs> made me break that promise. Yeah, yeah, like you yeah, cannot like, promise yeah. Animal Crossing. You cannot promise a lighthearted season. It just can't be done. You have to let things happen, and if you yep. promise Animal Crossing, you get corpse. Uh, corollary to this, I'm going to put put this out here. I had a friend tell his horror story about a person who was trying to play a character that like. Like their stuff was unreliable and they were bad at doing things because their stats were bad. And my response to that is you cannot design a character expecting them to fail in a not in a game where it's a probabilistic and not a deterministic system. Like if you go and saying, I want to make this character, but they're going to fail all the time. You can't do that. You can't anticipate that. So don't design a character around that idea uh, unless you're prepared to deal with the fact that it's going to go off the rails really fast. <laughs> yeah, I think we had this conversation with, like, I think Mari pitched a character once that was like, well, I want to be a character who's bad at X. And it's like, what if you roll really well? You know, like, then it won't, yeah. it won't work. But yeah, you, you can never know how these things are going to turn out. Um, I think we should say, because we brought up uh, this the tone change of season eight, <laughs> uh, something I asked you before, Sarah, is how does it feel to be on the other side of the uh, psychological damage this time? Because <laughs> usually... <laughs> Usually, we're critically hitting your weak points. Like it was, it was very interesting to be in the driver's seat, so to speak, because 
like as like an audience member as someone consuming like the thing that i'm listening to or watching like my thoughts are on like how the thing makes me feel and then like when i'm in the creative the creative position like with my comic and and with this like i'm more thinking about how i think would be like an interesting narrative choice and like with like the the obvious example being uh having gladys's eye get pickaxed out that was yeah that seems (laughs) that seems like something audience sarah would hate like Mm -hmm. i i think it was a very interesting contrast to experience firsthand because when that happened i was like yeah this rules (laughs) yes i saw i was i was thinking about that moment when we were getting up there you were just having a little giggle there like here we go and i'm just like that's it it, like like well it's just like that's kind of one of those tricky things where you're doing things are kind of dramatic when you're on the side of the creation there are parts of it were just like yeah like oh yeah oh yeah we're just buying into this and it's just a very different perspective than the audience who is it experiencing that like buy-in um so it's a very different vibe altogether yeah it, well, i'm it, glad i could have <laughs> I, i'm glad i could have horribly mutilated your character sarah <laughs> what do you mean you, you allowed gladys to get a fucking sick glass eye upgrade i mean that's a glow I lo- up I in love my that book glass there. Eye so much I, <laughs> <laughs> I think it led to like a very interesting like, like like the cascading consequences of that i find very interesting like i like the glass eye i like the like tension between like Th- throg and gladys and the fact that he was like well that was fucked up hey Trayan, kill me if that ever happens again and gladys not getting to be in on that oh that it was such an interesting reversal because then uh throg went on to kind of quote unquote kill himself and Gladys, and then T- Trayan didn't have to go through with that. You ever think about that? Is that Trayan was never forced to put you down, but in a way you put yourself down to trick mm-hmm. Trayan? Yeah, yeah. Right, it's a trick that I have left, but it did. <laughs> it kind of tricked him by accident. That, that's a that's a great trick there, uh, Dan. Which, which honestly, like, because this is the this is a show, there there's some things that I. I did that I probably wouldn't have done if this wasn't a recorded like podcast. Like if I was playing Throg in in an off-screen game where he got basically mind controlled by an Abolith, he would have probably either tried to suicide himself and to get away from hurting other people or just left the party straight up at that point. But that doesn't make for good TV. Yeah. Yeah, we always have to be conscious of that. It's funny because I talked about that with Conrad. I don't know if that was on a microphone or not. And he was like, I completely forget we're on a show. I'm just saying things that come to my brain. Like I'm he's like, I'm smoking weed, I'm half paying attention. <laughs> like I don't I'm not doing the same thing you're doing. Um but for me it's like, yeah, every every uh choice is mediated by the fact that someone's going to listen to it. Yeah, like the the the, the difference between audience me and creator me, like is almost like kind of hard for me to, con- to to like consolidate in my own brain because they they're such different experiences mm-hmm. like i have no idea what i would think of like the, the the gladdest thing if i was like in the audience like listening to it 
I should say about Throg and the Aboleth that yeah, that's not the way that normally would go down in a in a you know table environment. That yeah. whole mm-hmm. uh, Kushim traveling with you essentially that was that was really for the radio experience. But I'm glad you you know didn't fight me on that because I think a lot of people would be like, mm, actually, in the monster manual, I can make a roll every. And it's like yeah, sure. What do but, you, <laughs> do you want to win or what are you trying to accomplish here? <laughs> right. I, like there, there's there's times I, I remember talking with someone about like the fact that Tran was able to burn four dragon breaths in one turn by using them on his bonus action flurry of blows when that's explicitly not allowed in the rules and i'm just like yeah but one train never uses dragon breath other than that one time and two it looks fucking sick in the final fight so yeah let's just go with it you know yeah um the whole the thing about the final fight i guess we talked about it on the other show as well but yeah zana wrapped you up in the first turn because you're such a dps monster and then as soon as you broke out it was over it was it was it was jover this is the, fir- the first the first round Tran gets to attack zana does a six hit combo drops her to zero and fights over so it's just like that was the correct move incidentally by the dice i will say I think that's the second person that train dropped to zero hit points was Zana. And the only other person they dropped down to zero is one of the new ones. Um, and every other situation Trey was in a fight, someone else took out the person they were fighting, which is so funny. That's the funniest thing in my head about this entire campaign was Trey and this tournament fighter never actually getting the killing blow on people for the majority of the campaigns he was in, which I, I, I was hoping it worked the entire time, but it didn't. But <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's that's when you when you have uh, you know the dice to make some choices for you. You get weird uh, statistical runs. Like it wouldn't have worked that way if we had scripted it. I think everyone would have got an even amount of kills or something. But that's just not how it works out. It was way funnier this way for me. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I think the combat this season, if I can toot my own horn, kind of fucking rocked. I feel like it's really hard to do yeah. podcast combat in a way that isn't boring because you're just listening to people say numbers at each other. Um, but I think back on this season, uh, the Abeleth fight was really good. I think the fight with you know Zana we were just talking about was really good. I think the duel between Juniper and Laser was really good. I think we could. I really out. liked that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I caught up to the season like right before it ended, and I, I, I like I really liked that fight because it it, it like something about the fights from this season felt very dynamic and like they do in other seasons too but like it stood out in this one it's really hard to do i don't think people appreciate it and a lot of that is uh, like in editing i don't know if you all you, know, you all on the show listen to your own dragon quest episodes you know how the how big the difference is between them you can <laughs> you can go back and listen to your own files and hear the the difference but um yeah the final edits of it I th- i'm really proud of how all that stuff ended up mm-hmm. uh, on the topic of like mechanical rules as written versus how things get run in the, the the podcast, I realized after we had recorded everything, I think I glanced at like uh, the uh, the Drake Warden stats for uh, the Gort, the the Drake, and he is like an eight intelligence and can speak Draconic. <laughs> he, he's literally smarter than Trade. <laughs> I, I think it was better that way. I liked the flavor of the dog. I think having another talking character would have complicated things in a way yeah. that I'm not I, interested I, I, in. I like, I like Gort being a dog. It's cute. Like, oh, where you, go, where you going? Oh, I don't want to do this. It, 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 is, it is better that he's a dog, but I do think it would also be incredibly funny if just in the epilogue he started talking. <laughs> and there's a talking wait, dog. Wait, why are you going to talk to 
this whole time? You, 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 there's nothing that's interesting to say to a lot of you fucks. Just, <laughs> God, boring I, pieces of shit. <laughs> now, what I'm imagining is that you bring, like, the mom back and, like, she can talk. And, and, then, and then finally she can teach, teach the baby trick to talk. And now they're both talking and stealing food. <sighs> And that, that, that's another thing I've, I've had in my head that um, Gort is like, as we traveled through these biomes, he's sort of in the, the genetic memory of all these small animals that populate that aren't really important to like oh, the big monsters you fight. He's the equivalent of just the Tarrasque going through and terrorizing <laughs> each of these individual biomes and writing a history of blood throughout their instincts. Well, especially because he can't be attacked. The universe conspires to keep him safe. Exactly. <laughs> He's, He's a perfect baby boy and can never be hurt. Yeah, I even, mean, the even. idea was kind of that this was like a pseudo-Western. Like, I was playing with the, you know, colonialist themes of the traditional Western. Um, and in those, people just ride horses everywhere. There's just a horse in every scene in those stories. And <laughs> I was just like, well, this is a new world. Horses feel pretty boring. Let's everyone make their own mounts. Um, and I have to say that while there were some really wild animals, especially on the other side, I think the ones that I got really attached to were the the uh, the Archaeopteryx and and Gore and, and fucking Mac? He had a little only a little bit of screen time, but I really like Mac. <laughs> it's Mac. I, I, I love I love the I love that Archaeop the Aetheropteryx so much, even though it didn't really do anything uh, mechanically. I just outside of killing the gun dragon instead of Trayan, um, <laughs> which does mean it does mean Trayan came in third in that fight. <laughs> Because you were always very specific about keeping it safe, you would say, like, on my turn, I push the bag under the table or I, might, I make sure that, you know, everything's good there. You were constantly characterizing your char- character as someone who cared, mm-hmm. whereas other people would have, like, a cool animal but then not, you know, specify things like that. It's just, like, little details that help make a character, uh, you know, have texture. I, and and uh, I want wanted someone asked the question about, like, I think what the comments are about like what happens to Train's duffel bag. And the answer is that's that's Boogie's home. Boogie lives in the duffel bag, and Train has to make a new one for himself at this point. This you know, that's just duffel bag now. <laughs> Did you say on air before that, that that was the animal's name? I don't think you've ever said that. No, I, I was trying to set myself up for a chance to say it on air, but it never really kind of felt natural to do so. But from the get go, uh, the the Aetheroptics' name was Boogie, which is a direct reference to the. Carolina Disco Turkeys baseball team whose mascot is a peacock named Bogie, which is why I made them an, an Archaeopteryx because I was seeing like a dinosaur peacock energy. Um, so that's where the whole thing came from. Yeah. Some people asked like um, about if we could spend more time in the biomes or if we had more stuff. Like every biome has the potential for a whole ass season in it. And the history biome, I mean, you, we could have just done Jurassic Park season there. <laughs> Jurassic just... Park with time loops would have been so wild to do. A time loop season would be a nightmare, but also interesting. <laughs> Yeah, that definitely, that's more of an arc idea than a season idea. And it also would, you would uh, draw inevitable uh, comparisons to uh, the Adventure Zone and their time loop season, which I try to avoid Yeah, doing stuff like that. I think the but, biome that like I, I found the most, um, like, like, like I, I think I really liked the um, art and the night biomes, but I think the art biome has more potential for being like a location for a story because you could like, go to different kinds of art for like different arcs very uh 
looking at art, talking about art. <laughs> Maybe a little pretentious kind of season. Uh, pretentiousness on my show? What? And, <laughs> and then here the comes me throwing everyone else out of the way, going, give Halloween Town now. <laughs> we, I, I also think that Grendel is kind of like a weird Halloween Town-esque energy at times, which is just like, not always, but at times, but gosh, a full-out monster Halloween Town season does have a ring to it. <laughs> D- Dan mm-hmm. crying out, where's Jack Skrellington? <laughs> I'm glancing over to my shelf right now, and I'm looking back at, like, a hundred various-sized pumpkin monsters. Oh, my God. (laughs) I have a a specific kind of obsession, and it must be satiated. Be a pumpkin leshy. Yo. This is your chance right here if y'all want to do more world world building. Let's build Pumpkin World. There's still time in Arabella. It's <laughs> in the fucking postmortem. You, if you want to get this on record. Okay. Uh, uh, naturally occurring gothic castles, farmland. Uh, it Daytime is only limited to, like, uh, what is it called? Uh, sunset. So your maximum <laughs> light level is sunset. Uh, oh, this would be season 13, too, right? If yeah. Tennis Resubia, right. 11. Yeah, this, oh, like, that would be I, really like good. Almost like, a, like a, either like a constant like golden hour, like sunset type vibe, and then like the night lasts really long. So my, my, my presumption is that each each person who grows up in there has like a pumpkin that they kind of that kind of is tied to them and as they grow they carve into it and as they carve into the pumpkin that develops them over time it both acts as a journal but also just as a roadmap for how they grow as a person in pumpkin town you know everyone uh, having a personal power pumpkin is <laughs> it's quite an idea I'm, I'm th- it's like I'm the conduit equivalent in that season it's like my power pumpkin lets me do this my power pumpkin can make me fly uh-huh. i'm remembering um, pumpkin's a very a big moon, specific or the moon's a big pumpkin uh-huh. Uh, the moon is a very big, cool pumpkin. That, that, that and, like... and oh, oh, oh! Tell you know, to build a catapult. You're trying to build a catapult to throw a knife at it to get like, a good face on it. There, he's just trying to throw. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my question. What's the what's the inciting incident? What's the plot? You know, saying in Halloween Town because if I assume everyone is like an Adams family or like monsters esque, like spooky but good, right? Like, what's the antagonistic force? Well, okay, you got a few things there. One is obviously some sort of, you know, corporate entity as rolling into town and trying to make things, uh, to try to add some call to sex and stuff like that. You know, cauldron sex, which is just no, de- no deal. We're not having any cauldron sex here. We're happy with our little town setups there, but no, the, but there's that's one notion. I think another one, though, could be what if someone's trying to just be someone different in town and and that just kind of rubs everyone the wrong way i don't know i'm so, trying to think so i did in fact make an entire setting of this already uh for my own personal D world and in it in the, i i have a, a f- place i lovingly refer to as fairy tale hell and in a subsection of that area i designated a zone for the animated people's republic uh which is every what <laughs> every like Golem, Frankenstein, mad scientist experiment, sentient zombies, etc. That has come back to life and broken away from its creator. And that's where they live. And as a result, they, despite trying to just essentially live on their own, there is a constant influx of things like crusaders and stuff going to get them. 
Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was like, yeah, the quote-unquote good guy is showing up. Uh, we have a question here from Edgar Allan Poe Boy. Incredible name. Actually, uh, incredibly apropos for this conversation. At <laughs> Donna Human, who asks, what's the next evil going to be? This series was colonialism. Last season was police. We had corporatism. What's Yorsky's hidden leftist agenda going to do next? Um, <laughs> which is, yeah, that's my question. Like, what is Halloween Town grappling with on a thematic level? You know, is mm-hmm. it, yeah, is it the forces of like uh, uh think of the children pearl clutching do-gooderism is that like the, what the most interesting antagonist is i'm interested in that i'm interested in um like the way that uh halloween stuff usually gets like it's it's, it's associated with like really like old like traditions like you like you know how it like comes from the fucking Samhain. i forget right. what it's called oh. yes yeah yeah just every moral panic force would be a hilarious sort of thing to go on just because <laughs> i don't think we'd ever had we, i don't think we ever played on just the idea of just like i i, I just like the idea of the town kind of does its things and then there's this other entity that takes any innocuous thing the tight the town does ter- amps it up to 11 turns it into the most biggest threat possible and then the town has to deal with it one way or another um and then just escalates. i mean yeah one thing i did this season was like put biomes next to each other that contrasted like life and death are next to each other mm-hmm. war and peace are next to each other obviously uh future and past are the two or history and future i think is what i called them ultimately but like yeah this i think uh Samhain <laughs> biome would have next to it like some kind of uh in- uh saccharine uh, annoying <laughs> like really uh, Valentine's Day place you know yeah I was thinking like <laughs> Valentine's Day because I was like it can't be Christmas because there's already an extremely famous movie about that contrast I think mm. Valentine's Day or like a like fairy well, land well Easter you- would be a pretty good pick especially because <laughs> of the Catholicism connections <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that I want them both to be holiday exactly. It would more be like a a vibe, you know. It would be like Pumpkinville and like I don't know, like Hartsville or something. Um, this is not final, obviously. Unicornicopia two, it's back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, unicorn villain is honestly extremely good. We've done a bastard unicorn like three times now, but it never stops being great. I I think I think that actually does fit. Like, if you think about like Pumpkin Town, it's very like there. It's gothic. It's dark. It's kind of creepy. There's a beauty to it, but not like classical but in like an idealized unicorn like oh dan- walking above the grass blades and not bending them it's such an aesthetic like delineation it fits really well beyond that if you wanted to tap into like one idea of uh like moral panics they come from places where people have like expectations of how things should be and how people should be and so you could have that with the unicorn or whatever that uh, biome or community is where there's a lot of like expectations for people to be who they are whereas a uh, trait of the pumpkin town if you want to tap into the pumpkin carving ideas that people define who they are as they grow up and that alone is such an abhorrent act to those who are more about like no people should be specifically who they were born to be and stuff like that i don't know that's that's an idea at least 
Now that I've opened the door to the double season now, or, you know, the, the dual DM situation, this does raise the question is, do we do, would we have a pumpkin town team and a unicorn team? And oh, no. They would, <laughs> they would both do their own thing until they clash, or would we only want the pumpkin perspective? Fuck the pumpkin perspective is the name of this postmortem now, huh? I, I, th- I think that <laughs> the, it being a dual season is, is very enticing because, like, you I while I do like the in some ways the one dimensional the villain is just evil like that there is an appeal to that and part of that's from years of like oh this villain has a really sad backstory or subverting expectations etc cetera, etc cetera. having two dual teams humanizes both of them a lot more and makes any conflict more interesting. Yeah, I've seen a lot of posts where like, bring back one-dimensional Disney villains. Bring back Jafar. Fuck. We love a bastard. <laughs> Stop I, I, giving I them redeeming. And it's yeah. it's the be- it's the best villain I've seen in an animated movie in years. Which one? Puss in Boots. Oh, I've not seen that oh, one yet. Oh yeah, but I've, I've seen, seen clips, clips of that villain. Yes. That 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 guy. I, like, I need to watch the new Puss in Boots movie because that villain looks like a, a fucking riot. Now he is also basically just the character I played in the first Dice Vault quad shot I was in, but still. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 like right there there's there's something fun with that type of thing, and again I think, I, like they think the important thing is that as long as things are fun, you know, you know there could be something there, but like. Gosh, maybe too much fun with brainstorming this this pumpkin town. <laughs> I'm thinking about all the like the the various pump naturally growing jack o' lantern monsters. Uh, once a year, the great pumpkin grows. That sort of thing. We'll talk about this off off mic, I think. But Dan might need to be the DM of Pumpkin Town. You have such a passion for it. I think Dan it. needs to take control. <laughs> I, I can I can dig up my old fucking notes for Grimhalt, but my my custom world. Oh, the only thing written in there. The the the. The fun part would be coming up with voices for characters in this world. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's perfect. Uh, All right. You... So that's the pumpkin perspective. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make, make that an initial podcast. It's just Dan and someone else just brainstorming the pumpkin season for years to set it up. It'll be the yeah the deepest world building we'll ever do because it'll be th- a three year project. <laughs> well, it, it would if we're pulling my old uh, own personal setting lore. It goes back to whenever the original Shadow of Mordor came out because it all came from me having a really cool orc I killed in there, uh, and then I then built an entire world around him as a character and other things that I liked. Nars Dug the Nightbringer, based to shit. shout out to our boy he he was unkillable the only thing he was afraid of was cats so the only way i could kill him was to get a cat near him to scare him but then in the final battle after i killed him six times already he shows up again and is like what's up i'm gonna beat you to death with my crossbow and the only reason I could beat him, because he couldn't be comboed, you couldn't vault over him, you couldn't stun him, he did all of my health in one hit and poisoned me, uh, was that I just not uh, enslaved all of his friends to beat him to death. <laughs> Jesus, that was a pretty good game. It's a shame about the sequel and the company that made it. Yeah. Uh, I am done talking after two hours. If you have any other thoughts, now would be the time. And then... We're going to sign off. This is always what happens. I finish the questions and I think, oh, that was a pretty decently timed one. And then it's like, oh, no, we're in a mil- we've done a million years of questions. <laughs> I, I've got my pumpkin world. I'm happy. I'm content. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to spend a extra time just thanking, you know, Dan and Sarah for, you know, 
stepping up as quickly as they did to join in on this. It helped a lot. And of course, you know, thank you, Austin, for letting me back in in the middle of the season the way you did. It it meant a lot and it still does. Um, and uh, <laughs> well, on to the next season. Yeah, a- absolutely. It was an honor to be here and I was happy to be a part of it. Yeah, I can't say enough how cool and it is and how thankful I am that I got to be here. This was a really just dope opportunity and I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was able to take it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for enjoying these amazing characters. We'll see you soon in some one shots. Parentheses are on the S and one shots. I don't know how many. And then we're off to the new season and you'll hear voices that you're familiar with. (laughs) (laughs) People will be back. We're already two arcs deep as far as recording goes. So uh, you'll have a great time when you get there. Uh, I love you. All right. <laughs> I love you too, Austin. Love you too. <laughs> that wasn't for you. That was for my beloved audience. I had to get the, I had to get the parasociality coming. Uh, <laughs> well, right. you, you need to throw out a, a couple of names in there going, I love you, Alex. Really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. The nuclear strike. <clears throat> Patreon.com slash Cosmignon. Right? Yes. Patreon.com slash Austin Yorsky. Dan dot gov New Jersey <laughs> slash just 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 go to the just go to the Dicefuck Discord and bug Dan about Pumpkin Town. Okay, we'll we'll make oh, a yes. channel soon enough for it. <laughs> I was literally about to say that. Someone needs to start the fucking season thirteen channel. Let's just get it going <laughs> if, now. If you if they do it, I will start to just shit out every thought I have on how a pumpkin world would work, and then bring in corresponding miniatures that I've already painted to go with it. That is that is that is your order audience to force Dan to engage further with the community here. Let's get it no. let's get it done. Oh no, I can't be four seasons behind in the hype. <laughs> <laughs>